Welcome to Healthy vs. Toxic, the podcast where licensed mental health professionals explore what makes a relationship healthy or unhealthy or even abusive, all from a scientifically informed perspective. Well, this is Dr. Grande. Today's question asks if I can describe infidelity in terms of personality theory and give advice on how it can be prevented, give some tips on how infidelity can be prevented. So for this video, I'm using an article published in 2016. I'll put the reference to that article in the description for this video. And this article really talks about a lot of these aspects. So I'm going to review this article and then talk about my own clinical experience and what my opinions are in terms of preventing infidelity. So first I'll define infidelity. So infidelity is when somebody violates the expectations of a romantic relationship. And I know that there are varying definitions of it, and infidelity can be viewed in a unclear way. Like some people will say one thing is cheating, and another person would say that that same thing is not cheating. But in general, most people know what infidelity is. And in romantic relationships, about 97% of those relationships, there's an expectation there that there won't be any infidelity. We also know that infidelity is the leading cause of relationship termination. So how widespread is infidelity? How many people cheat? Well, at some point during their lifetime, we know that about 50% of men and 35% of women will have an affair. Now, what's interesting about this is this is just one affair. So at least one affair. It doesn't talk about people that would cheat multiple times. If you factor that in, cheating is really remarkably common. Now, 50% of men and 35% of women, that's already fairly common. But again, if you count the people that cheat 5, 10, 20 times, then the impact of infidelity is a little more clear. It's actually remarkably common and has devastating effects on relationships. So what's the personality type of someone who cheats? Well, someone who cheats can have any personality type, but there are certain tendencies, there are certain traits we would expect to see when we look at large numbers of people who involve themselves in infidelity. So to understand personality here, I'll be using the five-factor model, remembered through the acronym OCEAN, openness to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and eroticism. So someone who would be more at risk to have an affair would tend to be high in openness to experience. So they'd be intellectually curious, they would appreciate the arts, have a lot of imagination. We'd also expect to see low conscientiousness. So this is somebody who's not very well organized and maybe impulsive in terms of making decisions. We'd expect to see high extroversion. So this is somebody who has a lot of positive emotions, friendly, outgoing, assertive in social situations. We would expect to see low agreeableness. So this is somebody who's uncooperative, they value competition over cooperation, and they tend not to trust other people. And the last trait we'd expect to see here would be high neuroticism. So this would be somebody who tends to be angry, depressed, anxious, and they feel vulnerable. So that's kind of the five-factor model profile that we see, again, looking at large numbers of people who have been unfaithful in relationships. We know there are other risk factors, of course, with infidelity as well. High sexual desire, and high sexual risk-taking are associated with infidelity, and also if somebody's primary relationship is a low-quality relationship, if there's not much relational satisfaction, 
that tends to lead to infidelity, or at least it's a risk factor. In high-quality relationships, partners tend to discount the attractiveness of alternatives, and we don't see that in poor relationships. Now, the particular study I'm talking about here, they looked at individuals and asked them different questions about infidelity and other behaviors, and they also assessed them with a variety of instruments, including a few designed to capture these different risk factors like personality and attitudes toward sexuality. And we see here that 17% of the participants in this study, and there were several hundred participants, said that they had an affair, said that they were involved in cheating. But after answering questions about emotional affairs, emotional contact, sexual activity other than intercourse, and other online behaviors, the rate of infidelity was closer to 79%. And that still didn't account for any lying that occurred. Now, of course, you could argue people might lie in both directions, but usually we think of in these studies that individuals will avoid talking about infidelity-type behaviors, that that behavior is kind of embarrassing, so they're more likely to lie and say they didn't involve themselves in those behaviors. So we went from 17%, again, that admitted infidelity, to 79% that actually involved themselves in infidelity. Now, I know that one of the arguments here could be, well, if we have these different percentages, like I mentioned before, 50% of men and 35% of women over the lifetime, 79% infidelity rate is surprising, but you could see how somebody could get there. You could have people that, again, are underreporting. Well, that is a reasonable argument, but in this particular study, the oldest participant was 26. The age range here was 18 to 26. So just in that age range, 79% had, again, been active in cheating. One of the patterns that was recognized in the study is that people may be cheating instead of leaving and finding someone new. So what I mean by this is someone might know that the relationship they're in, their primary relationship, is not going to work out, but they'll stay in that relationship, essentially stringing that person along as they cheat in order to find a new relationship. Now clearly, starting a relationship through infidelity or cheating, whatever word you want to use, is almost always a bad idea in terms of predicting a positive outcome. It's a negative prognostic indicator for a good relationship. But either way, this is what we're seeing here from this study. Now, interestingly, for this particular study, personality was not a good predictor of cheating. The five-factor model of these different participants really didn't tell us if they were going to cheat or not. Also, the relationship quality of their primary relationship was also not a good predictor. There was actually only one good predictor identified, and it seems kind of obvious if someone's attracted to another person. That was the only good predictor we saw in this study. If someone's attracted to another person, that greatly increased the risk of having an affair. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, that's a hard no about saying no and setting boundaries so you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, 
parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardknowpodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who have overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection and interview top thought leaders, game changers and survivors. And it's from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover and how to be brave. So now moving to my clinical experience, this is a good point to transition here. What leads to this attraction? So if being attracted to another person is a good predictor of infidelity. And again, in this study, maybe the only good predictor. What causes that attraction? What can someone do to avoid getting into that situation? Or how can they extricate themselves from that situation? Well, this comes down to a theory that I've developed from treating a lot of couples that were involved in infidelity. And it's a critical moment theory. I believe that in relationships and in infidelity, there's a critical moment that occurs, specifically in the relationship between the person and the person that they're thinking about cheating with or that they could potentially cheat with. And it comes down to really a few different types of communication that occur at this critical moment. One would be saying something negative about your partner. So you're in a primary relationship, and let's just say it's a heterosexual relationship, man and woman, and say we're looking at a woman who goes to perhaps a work setting, and she has a male colleague, right? So this is the setup here for potential infidelity. The moment she says something negative about her partner, about her husband, that is a critical moment. That is a sign that things may not go well in terms of infidelity. Another potentially dangerous communication or risky communication is to say something emotionally charged. So if that woman said to that man in that scenario, in terms of this work setting, that that man understands her like no one else, right? That's an emotionally charged statement. It serves to establish an emotional connection. So saying something negative about the partner or saying something to establish an emotional connection both of these tend to lead to affairs, potentially. Not always, of course, probably not even most times, but they are really representative of this critical moment that I think occurs in a lot of these infidelity situations. I also think a lot of the times this behavior is deliberate. Someone wants to see what's going to happen next, and this excitement motivates them to take risks. So a lot of times we'll see with people who are involved in infidelity, that they kind of represent it as accidental. They slipped into it. They didn't really want to get involved in an affair. But then when we look at this critical moment, a lot of times when you really break it down, somebody wanted to know what was going to happen. They put that out there in an effort to see what the next thing was going to be, knowing that that next thing could be a strong emotional connection and then potentially a sexual encounter. So from all this, what can we learn about tips for avoiding infidelity? Well, this reminds me of an old song, a song released in 1984 by a band named REO Speedwagon, Can't Fight This Feeling. So the person singing here is really talking about 
the irresistible nature of this romantic feeling he's having. Now, the reason I bring up this song is because I tend to agree with the sentiment in the song. People really can't seem to fight the feeling. Romance is a powerful motivator, and initial attraction in particular. And we know that people just have difficulty resisting that. So in terms of tips for avoiding infidelity, it really comes down to not spending time with a person to whom you're attracted. So it's really all about distance and setting up barriers. We can think of this like people who have difficulties with substances, alcohol, for example. A lot of times we'll see that when people have a history of substance use disorder with alcohol, when they're in recovery, they'll say, well, I'm in recovery. I haven't had a drink for a long time, so I can have a drink here and there. And of course, we know a lot of times this ends in disaster, that this ends in somebody going back into the addiction. And if we know this, if we know that romance and attraction, if we know these are powerful motivators, then it's good to not get into a situation where you have to fight the feeling. If the feeling is too strong, then it's better to avoid it and avoid that person. This is really one of the only good ways I can think of to reliably avoid at least this type of infidelity. And of course, this won't work all the time, but I think it is a useful tip. I think it makes sense most of the time. As I mentioned before, I think a lot of times these behaviors with infidelity are deliberate. So you might look at somebody and say, well, look, if you're attracted to this person, don't spend time with them. But the attraction may already be there. So they're going to take steps to spend time with that person. They've essentially perhaps already given into the feeling. So you really have to get involved in terms of avoiding infidelity. You have to get involved before that feeling really takes root. What I've found a lot of times with these type of infidelity scenarios, like I've been talking about here, is that once those initial fantasies start, they kind of build a life of their own. And somebody kind of builds up in their mind what they're going to do or what this romantic relationship may be like. This whole idea of not being able to resist positive impulses is called positive urgency. And it's a type of impulsivity. A lot of times we think of impulsivity, we think of negative urgency. Like when somebody's angry and they assault somebody, they've given in to that anger emotion. Well, positive urgency is giving in to a pleasant emotion, a positive emotion. Again, that's why it makes sense that we see the positive emotion facet of the extroversion trait overrepresented in people that are unfaithful. I think one of the real dangers of positive urgency and what makes it distinct from negative urgency is when people are involved in negative urgency impulsivity, like with that example with the anger, giving into anger. They tend to know what they're doing is wrong, right? They kind of realize that the behavior is negative, the emotion is negative, and they just give into that impulsivity. With positive urgency, they believe that their actions are right sometimes. So they're giving in to a positive urgency situation, to a positive emotion. And they may, at some level, recognize the infidelity's not helpful, but that sentiment sort of gets covered by that positive urgency. Positive urgency has a way of converting something negative, a negative act, into something that looks like a positive act. So we also see that sometimes with negative urgency, but I think that's really a property of positive urgency, and in particular, the positive urgency with romance and attraction. Again, it's an intoxicating 
type of emotion and feeling, and it's highly complex, and it can motivate people to take actions that are surprising. So if someone knows that they have difficulties with positive urgency, if they can't resist impulses, again, I don't see many other ways to avoid infidelity other than avoiding the situation. So this is kind of a complex topic, infidelity. There's not always one root cause. For example, what I mentioned with the communication and how distancing could help and all that. Sometimes there are other causes. Oftentimes there are. So you really have to look at a lot of the different aspects of infidelity and not necessarily just this restricted number I've talked about here. But either way, again, I think this makes sense when looking at infidelity, at least in certain situations. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. The executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. For more content, please visit our website at arslanga.media. To leave feedback or suggestions, send an email to info at arslanga.media. To find more content from Dr. Grande, including a link to his YouTube channel and his other Ars Longa podcasts, visit our website at arslanga.media. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as medical or mental health advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page.